Wonderful. And I'm really thankful to the Lord for a team of very able young pastors who have been opening up the book of Galatians for us. Isn't it? How many of you are thankful for that? You know, so young and yet they have a knowledge of the word that, is, uh, that really amazes me each time. And I get really heartened uh, hearing them preach until we reach the point, I think I better let them preach more than... Uh, <laughs> but uh, I'm glad to be able to bring to you the word of the Lord this morning. And I want to take you now to the next portion. Last week, Pastor Amos did a great job, a masterful job of opening up the passage before. But I'm now going to take you to Galatians chapter 4. I'm going to read from verse 21 onwards. Last week, Pastor Amos tell us that, you know, he, he's, he's going, that, that passage engages the heart of the Father for His people. But to, and he's going, it was less teachy. But today, I'm going to take you into a portion that is a little bit more teachy, but very um, substance is, is so rich. So I'm going to invite you to read along with me. Galatians chapter 4 from verse 21 onwards. Listen to what the Apostle Paul wrote here. Tell me, you who want to be under the law, are you not aware of what the law says? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and the other by the free woman. His son by the, by the slave woman, which is Haggai, was born according to the flesh, but his son by the free woman, which is Sarah, was born as a result of a divine promise because God promised to bless Abraham with a son. Now, then goes on to verse 24. These things are, taken, are being taken figuratively. The women represented two covenants. One covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears children who are to be slaves. This is Haggai. Now Haggai stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she is in slavery to, with her children. But the Jerusalem that is a birth is free and she is our mother for it is written be glad O barren woman you who never bore a child shout for joy and cry aloud you who were never in labor because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband and then he begins to tell us what is the meaning of all of this now you brothers and sisters like Isaac are children of promise at that time, the son that is born according to the flesh persecuted the son born by the power of the spirit because um, Ishmael persecuted um, Isaac, right? It, it is the same now. But what does scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son for the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman but of the free woman. Hallelujah. Lord, we pray that this morning you will open up our eyes to see the truth of your scriptures. Lord, I pray that you give us a word in season, something that will challenge us and walk away from this place with fresh revelation that we are truly sons of Sarah and not of Haggai. We are born of the spirit, not the flesh. We are slaves to righteousness and Christ, not to the law. So come and speak to us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let me ask you, how many of you have ever been to Disneyland in LA? Anyone been to Disneyland in LA? Okay. If you have ever been there, you will know that there is a roller coaster ride called the Space Mountain. 
heard of that before? Space Mountain. It's supposed to be one of the most thrilling rides in, in the whole uh, uh, ground. Now, the first time I happened to be in Disneyland, I had a friend that I went along with some friends, and I had this friend who boasted to everybody, you know, before we even arrived at the, at, at the, the, the park. He said that, you know, he can go on the Space Mountain two times in a row and still not feel a thing. So we challenged him. We said, okay, we'll hold you to it. You go two times non-stop. And that's what he did. He went up in the first round, he came back, he came out of the right, he boasted to everybody, chicken feet, I didn't even feel a thing. I said, okay, go on the next one. He went on the next one. One more round immediately. Second round, he came back, stepped out of the ride. First thing he did, he ran for an open drain and vomited everything out. After that, I tell you, he, we laughed our head off and he became the butt of our jokes throughout the whole trip. <laughs> now, what's my point? What's my point? My point is this. We don't know what we are asking for until we taste it. And this is what the Apostle Paul is going to establish for us in this passage. Because up to this point, the Jewish preachers were trying to get, use the law to bring the Galatian church back to legalism. Now, we all know that. Paul is now going to use the same law to show them that this is a foolish decision. So he began this way in Galatians 4.21. He said this, Tell me, you who want to be under the law, are you not aware of what the law says? Can you see his point? You who are trying so hard, you really wanted to go back to the law, do you even know what you're asking for? You may end up like my friend who asked to go on a roller coaster two, three times, thinking it was fun, only to throw up all over the place. You don't realize what you're asking for. That was Paul's point, that you don't even know what you're asking for. And then he began to illustrate for us by telling the story of two mothers, Sarah and Haggai from the Old Testament. And this is where, listen carefully to me, Paul did something unusual with an Old Testament narrative. He began to read this story through two lenses. Okay, he was looking at the, the book of uh, the, the story of Haggai and Sarah, which is an Old Testament narrative, and he, he looked at it through two lenses. What are the two lenses? The first is he looked at it historically. Now, the Old Testament story of Abraham, Sarah, Haggai, and then their, their children, Ishmael and Isaac, they are all actual historical events that take place. How many of you know that? Right? They are actual events that literally took place in history. So he was looking at it historically. But more than that, he began to look at it allegorically. Okay, what is allegorical? It means this. Paul also began to read this story as an allegory which means that it is a story with a deeper meaning. Now, examples of allegorical stories are like C.S. Lewis' Screwtape Letter. If you ever read C.S. Lewis' Screwtape Letter, it's actually an allegorical story. And then there are hidden meanings in that story. Uh, John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress is also an allegorical story. Now, in the allegory, what happened is this. The people and the actions in the story represent hidden meanings so that we can read the account at two levels. One is the literal account, what actually happened. The other is the symbolic side. Okay, that these things that happen, it symbolizes something else. And those are the hidden meanings. And here in Galatians chapter four, 
Paul saw that Sarah was a picture of grace, while Haggai represents for us the picture of law. Okay, Isaac that was born by Sarah, uh, Paul saw that uh, the Isaac was a picture of the Christian who lived in the liberty of the spirit, while Ishmael represents those who are in slavery to law. So, how many of you know, therefore, we are children of Sarah? Born under grace and not children of Haggai, which is imprisoned in slavery to law. See, and that's what he's talking about. So let's, but listen, listen. There are some parts of the Bible that are meant to be taken allegorically or symbolically, and it should be read as such. But this does not mean, therefore, that we should look for hidden meanings in every passage we read. Because then this is doctrinally very dangerous. Because if we try to give a symbolic meaning to everything we read in the Bible, we can make the Bible say whatever we like. We can end up spiritualizing everything in the Bible. Right? And that's not how we should read the Bible. Generally, the doctrines, the major doctrines are derived from the New Testament epistles, New Testament letters that the Apostle Paul and John and all that expounds. However, there are Old Testament typologies that, that uh, is a beautiful way of seeing New Testament truths. Now, we need to hold that tension. Okay, there are books that are meant to be doctrinal, but there are also books that are beautiful typologies. They help us to see Christ in the Old Testament. For example, the tabernacles, the feasts of Israel, the, tab, the, the, journeys of, uh, the, the, the journey of Israel in the wilderness. They are beautiful pictures of New Testament truths. And in them, we actually see Christ. If you don't study the Old Testament in that context, sometimes we don't, we don't milk the richness of the Old Testament. The covenants all through history, they are, they are also, they, they, they are hidden meanings that point us towards Christ. Okay, so with that as a backdrop, let's take a look now at the Old Testament story that Paul alluded to. Are you with me so far? All right, stay with me, huh? I'm going to look at the passage we just read in three portions. The first, let's look at it historically, just like Paul did, okay? The historical facts. In verse 22 and verse 23, we see the historical facts. Listen to this, Paul wrote, For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman, the other by the free woman. His son by the slave woman was born in the ordinary way, in other words, just like Procreation, okay? But his son, but the free woman, was born as a result of a promise. You know, it was a miracle of God. Okay, so that's what he's talking about. Now, these are the historical facts of what happened to Abraham and his two wives. Now, i show you a little chart here so that you could begin to follow with me, okay? In case you've never read that part of, of Scripture, let me outline them for you. This is exactly what happened historically. At the age of 75, Abraham was called by God in Genesis 12, verse 1 and 2, to go to the promised land. Okay, he was given that promise. He was given an awesome promise that he will become the father of many nations. He's going to become, a, 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 he's going to have many, many descendants. Okay, and it was great. But of course, at that point, Abraham and Sarah were childless. But God promised them, you are going to become a father of many nations. Wonderful. Ten years passed. When Abraham was 85 years old, the promised son has not arrived. 
okay? It was still not happening. Sarah became impatient at that point. He looked at the husband that is becoming a bit of a old, old person, almost 85 years old, and he's beginning to think, if, you are, if it's not gonna happen, it's never gonna happen. So I better help you out a little bit. So what Sarah did at that point at 85 was Sarah became impatient, suggested that Abraham should take her maid, Haggai, and build his lineage through her before it's too late. Now you need to understand during that time, that was common practice, but it was not the will of God. But Abraham did it anyway, took Haggai, slept with her. One year later, when Abraham was about 86, Haggai became pregnant. Okay, and that was when Sarah became jealous because now he realized, I'm still childless, my maid is pregnant. And things got difficult at home, as you can anticipate. And Sarah wanted to throw Haggai out at that point. He got, she got so fed up, the jealousy was eating her up. So she was going to throw Haggai out, but God intervened at that point and sent Haggai back to her mistress. And then God promised to take care of Haggai and her son Ishmael was born. Okay, and then Ishmael came out when Abraham was about 86. Years went on. When Abraham was 99, God came back just when Abraham was given up on the idea that he would ever have a son through Sarah. God reappeared to him and reaffirmed to him that you are going to have a son by Sarah. At that point, you remember that story? Sarah laughed because she's looking at herself. <laughs> she's so old now. No way she's going to be able to give birth. In fact, the words she used was, at this age, can I still have the pleasure of having another child? It, they can't even perform anymore. <laughs> you understand? It was like gone case. And it was at that point, Sarah laughed. And then Isaac is coming. Isaac means laughter. <laughs> you know, that's the irony of it. And then all of a sudden at 100, okay, one year after that, the promised son arrived. Isaac was born. But along with it came trouble. Because why? The rivalry between Ishmael and Isaac started. The one, the child that was born by the slave woman and the one that is born by the free woman now started to have problems. Okay, and for 14 years, you need to understand now, for 14 years, Ishmael, the one that was born by the slave woman, was the only son of Abraham. He was the only son there, but no longer. All of a sudden, Isaac has arrived. And by the time Isaac came, uh, became three years old, three years down the road, and it became the custom at that time for the child to be weaned, according to Jewish custom, at that feast, Ishmael, the son that was born by the slave woman, started to create trouble by mocking Isaac. Now, Abraham had no choice at that point but to throw both Haggai and Ishmael out of the house at the instruction of the Lord. Why? Because Ishmael and Isaac cannot coexist. Are you with me? The child born by the slave woman and the child born by the free woman, they cannot coexist. See, and that's why in the end, they had to throw the mother and the child out. So Haggai and Ishmael got thrown out of the house. Now, on the surface, I've given you the whole story. Okay, you can read that in Genesis. On the surface, it appears to be nothing more than a typical domestic squabble. 
something you would expect even in today's world. You take two women into the house and each one got children, see what happened. It's exactly what will happen. It always happened. So it's nothing but a domestic squabble, it seems. But beneath that story, brothers and sisters, Paul began to show us powerful, deep spiritual truths that represented by Abraham, his two wives, and their two sons. That brings us now to part two, which is this. We now look at the hidden truths. Okay, you know the historical facts, but here are the hidden truths. Okay, read now Galatians 4, 24. Listen to this. These things may be taken figuratively, for the women represented two covenants. One covenant from Mount Sinai bears children who are to be slaves. That is Haggai. Now Haggai stands from Mount Sinai in Arabia, corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem that is a birth is free and she is our mother. Now you brothers like Isaac are children of promise. And at that time, the son born in the ordinary way persecuted the son born by the power of the spirit. It is the same now. How many of you know the conflict goes on between the flesh and the spirit in all of us? And Paul now begins to explain the meaning that lies behind these historical events. So if I can show you another contrast. Now there's a contrast between two women. Okay, we have Mother Sarah, on, uh, Mother Haggai on one side, Mother Sarah on the other side. What do they represent? The Mother Haggai, was a representation of the old covenant of the law. Then you have Sarah, which represents a new covenant of grace. One was a slave woman, the other was a free woman. One gave birth to Ishmael by the will of man. They just decided, go sleep with my Haggai, and then a baby comes out, okay? But Isaac was born by the will of God. Even though the womb is dead, even though the seed is gone, boom, baby comes. Isaac was born, it's the will of God. One is a physical birth that resulted in sinners. How many of you, every one of us are born a sinner. You see, but the other was born again to be sons and daughters of God. See, one represented the earthly Jerusalem, which is in bondage. Why? Because at that time, all of Israel was under the bondage of the law. But the other was destined for a heavenly Jerusalem. We are all destined for a heavenly Jerusalem and we are meant to be free. And church, the good news I have for you today is this. We are children born of Sarah, not of Haggai. We are free by grace, not bound by law. We are sons, not slaves. We are born of the flesh, but we have been born again by the Spirit. We are Isaac, not Ishmael. Hallelujah. I don't know about you, but this needs to really grip us. I am free. So are you. We're not meant to be Haggai's. We are meant to be with Sarah. Now, let me bring up for you the four important hidden truths that are here. The first is this. Isaac was born by God's power. All of you here, all of us here have been born again. We are born again by the power of God. You see, Ephesians 2.8 says this, for it is by grace that you have been saved, true faith. And this is not of yourself, it is a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. How did Isaac come into the world? Isaac came into the world through Abraham, right? Abraham represented faith. And it was through Sarah. It, it was by Sarah's birthing. 
right? Sarah represents grace. So all of us who are born as Isaacs, we have been born by grace through faith. Born by Sarah through Abraham. Every one of us here, as Paul says, it is by grace you have been saved through faith. Every one of us here are born by grace through faith. And we are all here today, not by the will of man, but by the grace of God. Every one of us are here. It's because of the grace and the power of God, not by the will of man. You did not choose Him. He chose you. Amen. See, that's hidden truth number one. Hidden truth number two is this. Haggai, you need to understand, was added on. Not in the original plan. Haggai was an add-on. See, God did not start with Haggai. If you look at the whole creation story, God did not start with the law. He started with grace. Why do I say that? When God first created man and, and Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, God provided everything for them by grace. Did they do anything? They didn't do anything. God provided everything for them, everything. Even after they fell into sin, God still continued to provide them. How? First of all, God provided coverings for their sinfulness. Right? God provided the animal skins for them. Take a look at Genesis 3, verse 21 to 24. That's where I, I found it. The Lord God made garments of skin. This is after Adam and Eve fell into sin. What did God do? Make garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothe him. And then the Lord said, the man has now become like one of us, knowing good from evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he has been taken. After he drove man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden, Cherubim, with a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. Do you know, brothers and sisters, God is so gracious that he not only provided man covering after their sin, but he chased man out of the Garden of Eden set an angel to guard men from ever partaking of the tree of life so that they will never partake of it. Now, some people think that God did that to punish them. No, God did that to protect men, not to punish men, but to protect men. Why? Because at that point, Adam and Eve has become sinful. How many of you know that? Right, they have fallen into sin. Imagine if as a sinful man, if Adam were to partake of the tree of life, then what will happen? They will be eternally sinful. Sin will never end. Are you with me? Yes. Then they can never be saved. But God in His grace protected Adam and Eve from ever coming near the tree of life so that sin can one day end. And the penalty of sin is death. And then after that, we can have eternal life. Yes. See, and so God protected Adam and Eve, not punished them. It is only when Jesus came that was when we can again partake of the ultimate tree of life and be eternally safe. And Jesus is our tree of life. It's only after we partake of Him, then we are eternally safe. But until then, no. John chapter 5, verse 39 and 40, Jesus said to the Pharisees, you study the Scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. It's true, but... These very scriptures testify about me. 
yet you refuse to come to me to have life. The scriptures point us to Christ. And that's where we find him. God's solution to our sin is not the law. God's solution to our sin is the promise of a Messiah who is to come. Genesis 3.15, right? After man fell into sin, God did all of that, protect man from ever eternally killing himself and trapping himself in sin. Then the Lord says, I will, in Genesis 3.15, I will put an enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will only strike his heel. What is that? That is the promise of the coming of a Messiah who will come, crush the head of Satan. Satan can only strike his heel. What a hidden picture of the cross. What a hidden picture of the cross. You know what? When God dealt with Israel, after he finished Adam and Eve, when he dealt with Israel, it's the same. God did not start with the covenant of the law in Exodus, but he started with a covenant promise to Abraham in Genesis 12. That's where it started. The law was only added 430 years later. Haggai was an add-on. The law was an add-on. In the same way, God started with Sarah. Haggai was only added on later because of the flesh. Over the last few weeks, as our young pastors opened up the scriptures for us, we learned about why the law was added. Why was the law added? The law was given to show us that we are sinners. The law is given so that we realize our need for a savior. The law was a prison warden, right? To restrain us from sinning without control. The law was given so that we can be led to Christ. In short, now can I put it this way? Uh, the law was given not for men to keep because God knows that we cannot keep them. The law was actually given for us to break so that we know that we know we are sinners in desperate need of a saviour. And that's why it points us to Jesus Christ. And that's why we all run to Jesus. Amen. Amen. It was an add-on. Okay, here's number three. Important thing you need to know, and these things are true. The third thing is this. Ishmael and Isaac will be in conflict. The flesh and the spirit will always be in conflict. And in this story, we find that Ishmael gave Isaac a hard time. In the same way, I want you to know, the old man of the flesh will cause trouble as we move into the new life of the Spirit. Galatians 4.19, right? Paul wrote this. At that time, the son born according to the flesh persecuted the son born of the power of the Spirit. It is the same now. And it's true. How many of you agree? The conflict goes on. I still feel it. Sometimes you feel it too. Romans chapter 8, Paul described it this way. In verse 5 to 8, listen to this. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind that is governed by the flesh is hostile towards God. It does not submit to God's laws, nor can it do so. But those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. God. There's this constant battle that goes on uh, between the flesh and the spirit in men. But how many of you agree? It was never there until we became a Christian, right? 
Until you became a Christian, there was no struggle. I just do what I like. Now nobody's there to tell me anything, right? Ishmael did not cause any trouble for Isaac. And, uh, in the, Ishmael didn't cause any trouble in the house until Isaac was born. Until Isaac came along, there was only Ishmael. You know, he had the whole house to himself. He does what he likes. There was no conflict at all. But the moment we are born again, the battle begins. And the day when we come to Christ, we don't just have a new walk with God, we also have a new warfare with the, with the evil one. We didn't just join a family, we also join an army to have to fight against the forces of darkness. The flesh is always focused on what the flesh wants, but the spirit is focused on what God wants. And the outcome is dependent on who we allow to stay in the house. It's gonna come down to that. Who do I allow in my house? So what's the solution? What then is the solution? The fourth hidden truth is this. Hair guy must ultimately be put aside. You got to kill this. Galatians 4.20 now. So what does the scripture say, Paul then said? Get rid of the slave woman and her son. For the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance of the free woman's son. It was Sarah who first gave the order, you know, get rid of the slave woman and her son and God approved it. And by that time, Ishmael has been in the house for 17 years already, but his stay was not to be permanent. Eventually, he has to be cast out. And Haggai and Ishmael has been in, and, and Haggai and Ishmael just cannot coexist with Sarah and Isaac. One pair will have to go. The flesh, the law will have to go so that the, the spirit and grace can persist. In the same way, I tell you, it's impossible for law and grace, flesh and spirit to coexist. In the end, the law has to be removed. The flesh has to be cast out. The old nature must be put to death. No other way. You've got to kill it. Colossians 3, verse 5. Listen to what Paul says here. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, which is idolatry. And I want you to know, the moment Haggai and Ishmael got cast out, it was permanent. They never came back after that. That was it. And you, Haggai and Ishmael never came back. And Abraham, you know, he tried to accommodate Haggai and Ishmael for 17 years, tried to accommodate them, but it did not work. We will find the same thing if we try to let the flesh and the spirit coexist together. That's what the Galatians are trying to do now. They want to, and they want to let the flesh and the spirit come together, law and grace come together. Paul says it will not work. Law and grace, flesh and spirit, they're like oil and water. The two simply cannot mix. The Jewish preachers are trying to marry Mount Sinai with Mount Zion. Paul would not allow that. And if it happens, then what Jesus did on the cross will be nullified. And in Paul's time, the Jews in Israel are under bondage to the law, but the Christians are enjoying the liberty of Christ under the Jerusalem which is above. Now, those are the hidden truths that are found in these historical facts, right? But question, last thing, what is the meaning of all this for us? How does, how does that apply to all of us? What's the practical outworking? So listen carefully, friends. After taking us through the whole allegory and outlining all the hidden 
messages inside, Paul concluded with one statement in verse 21. He says, therefore, brothers and sisters, therefore means as a result, okay? What is the outcome? Brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. Today, brothers and sisters, I want you to know we are Isaacs, the children of promise by grace through faith. Sarah is our spiritual mother. Sometimes we still struggle with the old nature, right? The Haggai and the Ishmaels in us want to persecute us and want to bring us back into bondage. What then should we do? Here's the key. We cannot change the old nature of the flesh. But John 3, 6 says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. The flesh cannot be changed or improved. God did not try to change Haggai and Ishmael. No amount of education, regulation can change the nature of the flesh. It is what it is. We cannot try to compromise and accommodate the flesh. It will only lead to bondage. The flesh and the spirit will always be at war. The only way to handle the flesh, the only way to handle Haggai and Ishmael is this, put it to death. It's the only way you put it to death. Get rid of it. Too many of us sought to live with the flesh, accommodate sin in our life. We compromise, we make room for the slave woman and her son. You know what Paul tells us? Paul tells us in no uncertain terms in Galatians 4.28. Now you brothers are like Isaacs. We are children of promise. Okay? At the time, the son born in an ordinary way persecuted the son born by the power of the Spirit. It's the same now. What does the scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son. Paul put it this way more direct in Colossians, uh, Colossians 3 verse 5 to 11. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. So instead of week after week trying to clear up the cobwebs in our life, the key is not to keep clearing up cobwebs. The key is to kill the spider. <laughs> you kill the spider once and for all. And then there will be less cobwebs in the house. So we, can, we, can keep, we can keep trying to clear cobwebs. You know, uh, uh, yeah, I've seen again last night. Confess, you know. Nothing wrong with that. We need to do that. Okay? But there is something even better. Instead of constantly trying to clear up cobwebs and feeling guilty all the time, kill the spider. Put to death. Put to death those, 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 the, the flesh. And, and here's how he puts it, right? In Colossians 3, verse 5 to 11. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, which is idolatry. Because of all this, the wrath of God is coming. There is a coming judgment, people. We serve a God of love towards sinners, but He's also a God of wrath towards sin. And then listen to what Paul go on to say. He says, you used to walk in these ways. That means what? We don't have to anymore. We used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. But now you must also rid yourself of all such things. And then he goes on to say, you, have, you, you get rid of all these things. Anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language in your mouth. Don't lie to each other since you have taken off the old self. With, 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 with his practices, but you have put on the new self. In other words, you have got rid of the flesh. You have put on the spirit, which is being renewed in the knowledge, in the image of his creator. Yes, all of us used to live a life of sin. 
because we were born of the flesh. But the good news is we have been born again of a different mother. Hallelujah. You have been born again in the spirit. We are no longer slaves to sin, but we are slaves now to Christ and His righteousness. Do you believe that with all your heart? Do you? Do I? Do we really believe that with all of our heart? Because if we do, then Paul tells us, now there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythians, slave or free, but it's Christ in all and is all. If we truly believe that now I'm born of a different mother, I've got a whole new identity now, then you know what? It is nothing to do with race now, whether you are Jew or Gentile, Asian or Caucasian. Nothing to do with rituals, whether circumcised, uncircumcised. It's not about lineage, whether you are civilized or crude, whether you have a degree or you don't have a degree. It's not about social status, whether you are slave or free, rich or poor. It's all about a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. It comes back to that. Christ is all and in all. So how do you kill this, put to death the flesh? What is the secret to this? One answer, the Holy Spirit. How do you get rid of the flesh? Only one way, it's the Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 8, verse 12 to 14. Therefore, brothers and sisters, Paul says, we have an obligation. It is no longer to the flesh to live according to it, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. How in the world do we actually put to death the flesh? Only one way, by the Spirit. That's why the rest of the book of Galatians is going to talk about that. We're going to move away from the flesh and focus on the Spirit. Because that is the answer. The answer, my friends, is not in trying harder because that can lead you to self-effort. You will try and fail, try and fail. The answer is not in trying. The answer is in trusting. The answer is not in self-effort. The answer is in, we trust in the sanctifying power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. I am not destined, you are not destined to be a rowing boat. You know what a rowing boat is? You use your own strength and try to row. From get from point A to point B. Doing all the religious stuff, you know, trying to get there. No, no, no. The answer is not to be a rowing boat. The answer is to be a sailing boat. Amen. You set your sail to the wind of the Spirit. And you allow the sanctifying work of the Spirit in our life to really be in control. Then we are truly born free. It's not trying, it's trusting, you see? And I tell you, I acknowledge that I cannot do it. I turn to the Holy Spirit, who alone can bear the fruit of holiness in my life. The Holy Spirit is the key to our sanctification. What's my role? My role is to trust what His Word says, you know, that declares I am no longer a slave to Satan. I'm no longer a slave to sin. I belong to Jesus and His righteousness. I'm not a son of Haggai, I'm a son of Sarah. And this morning, we make a rescue decision not to live according to the flesh, because I'm no longer a slave to the flesh, but I belong to the Spirit. We die to ourselves, we surrender to the Holy Spirit. We rely on His empowering to live out the righteousness of God that we already have in Christ. And we walk in the Spirit, and we no longer gratify the desires of the flesh. Amen. Hallelujah. By the Spirit. 
I'm no longer a son of Haggai. I'm a son of Sarah. That's why we can declare, I'm no longer a slave to sin. I'm a child of God. You know, when I read these verses, I'm so encouraged because I know now that I come out of a good tree, you know. You come out of a good tree. We come out of the tree of Sarah. Not because of anything we have done, but only because we have been born again by the grace of God through the Holy Spirit. I no longer walk in the flesh, but the Spirit. I'm called to bear the fruit of the Spirit, not the acts of the flesh. I'm a son of Sarah, not a son of Haggai. I'm born of the Spirit, not the flesh. I'm a slave to righteousness, no longer to sin. That's who you are. Believe it, embrace it, and live it out. Stand with me, please, and allow me to pray. Thank you, Lord. Father, I pray this morning that you will come. Holy Spirit, come and speak to us. Those of us who feel like we are rowing boats, still struggling, trying to lift out the Christian faith. Oh God, teach us to put down our oars, set up the sail to your Holy Spirit and trust in what you are doing in us. Your word already informs us that we are sons of Sarah, not Haggai. Born of the spirit, not the flesh. Slaves no longer to sin, but slaves to Christ and His righteousness. Come and speak to us. Come and deal with us this morning. In Jesus' name.